from deep inside your audio device of choice. Wow, it's been uh, maybe five weeks, ladies and gentlemen, since I did live-to-air radio. I don't, I'm not sure I remember how to do this, so if it sounds more than normally screwed up, you'll, it, it wasn't anything I drank last night. It was the coffee I drank this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, a... Uh, uh, do not mistake me for... Uh, oh, by the way, um, before I get to that, uh, it's, it's not only the uh, last day of the year, but it's, of course, a holiday weekend here in the United States and much of the the world that observes the... What is it, the Julian calendar? I love him. Um, but... Um, oh, the Gregor- did you do the Gregorian? The uh, Gregorian is the chant, Julian is the calendar. But... Um, I noticed this morning four of the serious Sunday morning talk shows on television were suddenly hosted by women, not the normal men hosts, you see, women, which tells you either we've made enormous progress since the Harvey Weinstein thing or it's a holiday weekend. Now, I tried to pull the same stunt with this show, but neither Pam nor Jenny wanted to come in or come anywhere near this. So here I am struggling my way through, and I can't help but notice now, this is a serious story. I'm no, in no way making fun of the story itself or the victims. There was a, a horrible fire in New York City. You may have heard a couple of day, days ago. It was uh, caused by a child playing with a stove, it was a, according to the news reports. And several people died and uh, others were injured. I, I point this out only because there's a, one of the headlines on the New York Times website as of right now. Uh, has this as the start. It's a longer headline, but this is the start of it. Why do children play with fire? New York Times, ladies and gentlemen, reporting on why children play with fire, in case, in case you were ever wondering, because that's their mission. Now, the bees. Let's get to the bees. Forget the breeds. This is the bees. The combined effects of pesticides and a lack of nutrition form a deadly one-two punch against the bees, the honeybees, according to biologists at the University of California, San San Diego. That research shows this for the first time, incidentally. just You heard the uh, little bong there. That was the first time. A study was published, wow, just earlier this month in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B. Researchers used honeybees due to their important role as agricultural pollinators and bioindicators of environmental quality, the, stu- the researchers studied how honeybees fared with exposure to those neonicotinoid pesticides that are broadly used in agriculture, along with limited nutrient sources, scenarios that are commonly found in ag areas where bees would be if they were pollinating. The scientists studied two common neonicotinoid pesticides, I'm not going to pronounce their names for you because they're not paying me enough to do that, which are used worldwide in vegetable, fruit, and grain crops. After these pesticides are applied to crops, they often remain in the environment and can be found in nectar, pollen, water, and soil. Where else would you like them? Skin? We can do that. Researchers were surprised to find that bee deaths increased by up to 50% more than they expected compared with the individual effects of pesticides and poor nutrition. So they kind of had a combined effect. No previous studies have tested such synergistic effects when these threats are combined and amplified beyond the sum of the individual factors. Declines in honeybee health, as you know, have caused global concern due to the insect's critical ecological role as a major pollinator. 
The researchers found that combined exposure to pesticide and poor nutrition decreased bee health in uh, animal model studies. I'd like my animal to be a model. Bees use sugar to fuel their flights and work inside the nest. Pesticides decrease their hemolymph, bee blood, sugar levels. Mmm, bee blood. That's a beauty aid, isn't it? And therefore decreased their storehouse of energy. These findings should cause us to rethink our current pesticide risk assessment procedures may underestimate the toxic effects of pesticides on bees, said the lead researcher. But that's not all. Oh, no, that's not all. In case you thought the bees were just just had that going at them. Common fungicides are the strongest factor linked to steep declines in bumblebees. Bumblebee populations, I, I don't think individual bumblebees are declining. Across the United States, according to the first landscape scale analysis, the surprising result has alarmed bee experts. You'd think they'd, they were used to being alarmed by now, just like the rest of us. Because fungicides are targeted at molds and mildews, not insects, but now appear to be a cause of major harm. How fungicides kill bees is now being studied, according to The Guardian, but it's likely to be by making them more susceptible to the deadly nosema parasite or by exacerbating the toxicity of pesticides. As you know, bees fertilize about 70%, 75%. Now this, I've seen so many different figures on this. According to The Guardian, 75% of all food crops are fertilized, half of pollination being done by wild species. The new study, published in that same journal, Proceedings of the Royal Society B, used machine learning. I guess they had a B issue. Well, that would be the B in the B issue. Uh, used machine learning statistical methods to analyze the role of 24 different factors in explaining the decline of four bumblebee species across 40 U.S. states. The winners in predicting both the prevalence of that uh, parasite and range contraction were fungicides. So there you go. Blame the sides. The sides have it. Oh, hello. Well, Happy New Year. Welcome to the show. What would you think if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song. And I'll try not to sing out a key. Oh, I get by with a little help from my friends. Mm, I get high with a little help from my friends. Mm, gonna try. Do I do when my 
going to be a little weird to say Sir Ringo, but there you go. From New Orleans, Louisiana, right by the Mississippi River, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. Who does not exist? The British government has been accused of sitting on almost $3 billion worth of assets that have been earmarked for good causes and charities, many of which face an uncertain future as funding streams start to dry up. What does this have to do with the Olympics? Stay tuned. The money came from the National Lottery. It was originally earmarked for good causes, but then it was sidetracked to build Olympic assets for the 2012 London Olympics. Now, it won't be repaid for 30 years or more. The government has also, the British government has also declined to say what it intends to do with the lion's share of the assets, currently sitting in dormant bank accounts and bond holdings. The Dormant Assets Commission, according to The Guardian, said in its final report it had identified some $2.5 billion of unclaimed cash that could be freed up and distributed to good causes saying the huge sum has the potential to further transform the charity sector, helping to improve communities and change lives. At the time of the report, the Minister for Civil Society said this money could help change millions of lives across the country. But now, almost a year after that report, the government is still considering the Commission's report and has yet to publish its response. In 2010, the then-conservative and uh, liberal Democrat coalition government promised to make good on a labor government pledge to repay more than half a billion taken from the lottery fund to pay for the 2012 Olympics. Most of the money was for grants of less than $15,000, which were intended for grassroots projects across the UK. But the Olympics, don't you understand? The director of policy at the Directory of Social Change, which provides advice and support to charities, said the immediate refund of the more than half a billion owed to the lottery fund could help millions of people across the UK. The government had said it would repay the money by selling off Olympics assets by the early to mid-2020s. But it has now emerged, according to The Guardian, that only about $70 million has been generated so far, and none has been handed to good causes. Why, you're ignoring the fact that the Olympics is a good cause. You know why? All right, I'll tell you why. It's because the Olympics is a movement. And we all need one. Every day. There they go, marching into the wind. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend, the Atom. He's a friend. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too cheap to meet. 
Like the women, Addie the Adam didn't show up today. It has to be one of the greatest wastes of money in any state. A giant. Oh, oh, that's nice. Thanks for dropping by. Uh, it ha- you want to finish that? You might as well. You started it. A giant of limitless power at man's command. Man is building a brighter future for his children and his children's children in the new world of the atomic age. Okay, thank you. On behalf of your children's children's children. the One of the greatest wastes of money, I say, in any state's history, reported by Governing.com, last summer two utility companies halted construction on nuclear reactors in South Carolina. They already sunk more than $9 billion into the project. Oh, don't feel sorry for those companies. Uh, the project will never be completed or generate a kilowatt of power. The state is now trying to figure out who's to blame. Who will pay? Ratepayers. Back in 2006, South Carolina, along with several other states, passed legislation to try to jumpstart the nuclear construction industry. You know, those were the days when we were still dependent on oil. Oh, I see. Um, In states with growing populations, encouraging nuclear energy through a new approach seemed like a good idea. South Carolina decided to allow utilities to bill customers for the cost of nuclear construction as it happened, rather than waiting until power plants were completed. The initial cost estimate, this was uh, presented as a consumer-friendly way to pay for construction as they go, as you do. The initial cost estimate was $7 billion. Westinghouse contracted to build the reactors for the South Carolina utilities. It was using a new design for its plant. The company made thousands of engineering and design changes along the way. That slowed things down and contributed to cost increases. You say, I say that like it's a bad thing. So did its taste for expensive materials. Westinghouse bought thousands of hand-machined nuts. Mmm, nuts. That cost $114 each rather than sturdier off-the-shelf nuts that retailed for $2.20, according to the Post and Courier, a newspaper which has done yeoman work on this subject. We'll get to them in a moment. There is a reason Westinghouse got to charge 15% overhead on everything it spent. Every thousand nuts meant $17,000 in revenue for the company rather than the $330 it would have collected had it used cheap nuts. An audit by Bechtel two years ago found the construction plans and design were faulty and the project was poorly managed. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, the project, according to one legislature, legislator, was built to fail. That was uh, There was an audit by Bechtel. The utilities tried to block the public release of the audit. But the governor put it out last September. There was obviously failure in oversight and management at the project site. There were multiple breakdowns along the way, says one state senator. Westinghouse went bankrupt last spring. That helped. Utilities quickly called it quits on the project. Customers, as you know, if you've been listening to the show, have already been billed some $2 billion for the reactors that will never react. The utilities continue to collect $37 million per month. The average rate payer is paying an additional $250 a year. This could go on for 60 more years. But it's clean and it's cheap and it's clean. It may not be legally possible to stop that process. The utilities don't have to give, don't have the cash to give back. The fight in the legislature this will, year will be about whether to curtail additional payments going forward. Utilities are opposed to that idea. Oddly enough, they want the money from the 
ratepayers to continue for the plants that will never be built. As I mentioned, the Post and Courier down south in Florida, Florida territory, that uh, cost recovery provision was originally inserted in 2006 into Florida law. Florida led the way, and the other southern states followed Georgia, South Carolina. The Florida experiment did launch a frenzy for nuclear power. The Post and Courier did a, an investigation called Power Failure. Power companies in those states, Mississippi, South Carolina, Florida, I think Georgia too, uh, blew more than $40 billion on new plants and upgrades on projects that went far over budget or never produced one scintilla, I th believe that's the technical term, of electricity. In Florida, ratepayers got a reactor upgrade that went so poorly the plant was abandoned. Well, that's, that's like an Apple-style upgrade. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that? They got expensive licenses to build two new plants that never broke ground. They got a few expanded reactors that went far over budget and ultimately only added the equivalent of a mid-sized power plant, and the projects cost more than $6 billion altogether. This is in Florida. When they be went belly up and over budget, virtually all of the risk went to electric customers. If the project didn't come to fruition, the utilities could keep charging under that 2006 law as long as state regulators decided the work was prudent at the time. Prudent. Time and again, no one reaped the benefits except the utilities. That happened first when Progress Energy bungled a complicated reactor repair job in a 30-year-old reactor. It tried to cut costs by managing the work itself, an unprecedented move in the utility business. It backfired. Contractors cracked the concrete shell of the building that keeps radiation from escaping. They found a split inside the walls the size of a basketball court. Hey, hoops! And another one, and a third. Progress was taken over by Duke Energy, putting new eyes on the project, so they ended up walking away. The first time in Florida history a nuclear plant had been shut down. Electric customers have paid $381 million for the failed construction project, on the hook for another $1.3 billion to shut down the plant, paying for the next two decades. Happened again when Progress proposed building a pair of nuclear reactors in uh, rural Levy County, north of Tampa. They signed a contract with Westinghouse. I guess that was before Westinghouse went bankrupt. Customers who got their electricity from Progress and later Duke would pay for the land even after Westinghouse went bluey. They'd have to pay to get out of the contract, totaling $871 million. It's, it's not clean and it's not cheap, but it's safe because it, it, they never turned anything on, you see, any of those things. But wait, there's more. Ain't through yet, ladies and gentlemen. Just, just, just started, just opening the seal on this one. Indian auditors in India, to answer your question, have issued a report specifying a laundry list of cost escalations caused by ongoing construction delays and missed timeline expectations at the Kandankulam nuclear power plant. Many of the delays are blamed on the export division of the Russian nuclear energy company, Atomstroyexport. Atomstroyexport. The... Uh, Controller and Auditor General of India issued the report. 
The agency named several project-specific deficiencies related to Units 1 and 2, commissioned five years ago, four, four years ago. Construction delays put them 86 and 101 months behind schedule, almost doubling the initial price tag. The plant owner and operator, National Power Corporation of India, was forced to borrow funds above and beyond the original budget and to begin paying back Russian lenders prior to the start of plant operations. As a result, rising cost for the project snowballed, according to Nuclear Street. Dot com. Those pesky Ruskies, or these pe- Rusky Peskies. Dateline Plymouth, Massachusetts, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has found four more safety violations at the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station. That's progress. A team of NRC inspectors conducted a review in September. The violations are considered green in nature, meaning they're very low safety significance. Among them, plant owner Entergy did not fix a previous issue related to an inadvertent drainage of water from a storage tank at the plant, initially detected two years ago, uh, this year. plant was also cited for failing to correct issues with their water pumps. The plant, says the NRC, f- continues to struggle with operator fundamentals and operability determinations. It's under increased federal oversight after a series of unplanned shutdowns and safety violations. But it's all green. It's all green. And that would be clean, cheap, too safe to meter. Our friend, the Atom. Ladies and gentlemen, we are... No, that is so wrong. That is as wrong as wrong. I told you, ladies, I told you you'd you'd hear some really good little, uh, little accidents here on the on the living of the show, and that was one of them, but we correct it right now. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. News of microplastics. An activist group in the city of Seattle is trying to change people's habits one plastic straw at a time. Lonely Whale Foundation began Strawless in Seattle in September as a way of encouraging others to think about the impact plastic items have. In the United States, we use 500 million single-use plastic straws every day, says the executive director. Zero percent of them are recyclable. Those that find their way into the marine environment break down into microplastics. When marine animal eats plastic, they have a 50% mortality rate. Well, 50-50. That's, that's, if you bat 500 in baseball, man, you're... Worldwide, people are using 1 billion plastic straws each day, contributing to the 12 million tons of plastic waste that ends up in oceans and rivers every year. If consumption of single-use plastic items continues at its current rate, scientists predict that by 2050, there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish. So... Learn to grill plastic. Uh, from July next year, Seattle will ban disposable plastic straws and cutlery from restaurants and cafes. The city has already removed more than 2.3 million plastic straws since September. They're nuts up there. They're cooking. What can I tell you? With the plastic straws. Um, but on a uh, related subject, still microplastics, you see. Tiny bits of plastic are contaminating mussels from the European Arctic to China in a sign of the global spread of ocean pollution that can end up on people's plates. This from Reuters. 
Mussels in apparently pristine Arctic waters, well, not, not now, had, most, had the most plastic of any tested along the Norwegian coast, according to a study this month by the Norwegian Institute for Water Research. The Neva. Plastics may be getting swept north by ocean currents and winds from Europe and America. Don't forget America. Why do you hate freedom? Ending up swirling around the Arctic Ocean, said a researcher from Neva. Microplastics have been found in mussels everywhere scientists have looked. Well, look elsewhere. Look at the clams. Oh, look, clams over there. Past surveys have found microplastics off nations including China, Chile, Canada, Britain, and Belgium. Well, that's, that's the C's and the B's. Off Norway, the mollusks contain on average 1.8 bits of microplastic with 4.3 in the Arctic. Last year, Chinese researchers suggested mussels could be a global bioindicator of microplastic pollution because the mollusks live on the seabed where many plastics end up. And unlike fish, they, mussels, stay in the same place. They're kind of homebodies. The impact of microplastics on marine life or, or humans when eaten is unclear. Scientists suspect you'd have to eat vast amounts of shellfish to be at risk. But it's a warning signal we need to do something about reducing the input of plastic to the ocean, says another professor, an expert on microplastics. Richard Thompson, not the one you're thinking of. It's a cause for concern at the moment rather than an alarm story, he says. Almost 200 nations signed a U.N. resolution this month to eliminate plastic pollution in the seas, but I think Trump will get us out of it if he's playing his cards right. Thompson's research has shown extremely high levels of plastics in the seabed can harm animals such as lugworms living in the seabed and build up in their tissues. Lugworms. Most bits of plastic simply pass through the guts of creatures from shellfish to humans. Thompson said human exposure to microplastics and seafood was likely to be low that from everyday plastics, ranging from toys to fleece jackets. Scientists want to find out if microplastics might cause mussels or oysters to make pearls in nature, often produced to combat natural irritants like sand. Okay, well then, let's get those straws back in those mussels. We need pearls. News of microplastics, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Well, there's another one. There's another one for you. The the lack of hits just keeps on coming. uh, News of microplastics, I say. Copyright feature of this broadcast. And it does that again. Well, sir, we'll just have to see about that. We'll see about that by doing this.
from New Orleans, this is the show. And I think the mistakes kind of humanize me, don't you? I, I, I need so much humanizing. Ladies and gentlemen, um, the Boston Globe this week, kind of strange time of year to be releasing a, uh, a major story or to dump it. I mean, like the State Department dumped uh, a bunch of stuff on Friday, but it's it was, uh, I don't know, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there right now. The Boston Globe story concerned Dr. Phil and allegations by some people who had been guests on the Dr. Phil television show and relatives of those people that those folks who happened to be addicts that was the reason they were booked on the show, um, were, in fact, supplied with, uh, in some cases, either alcohol or um, helped to um, find drugs during the time before they actually appeared on the show. Uh, one, one guest in particular, by the name of Herzog, I believe, uh, said that there was a... a he, he had been uh, a couple times, had to... Uh, get therapy for his alcoholism. And when he showed up at the Dr. Phil show, there was a bottle of vodka in his dressing room, you know, just to make him feel um, the director of medical stuff at the Dr. Phil show, while reminding us that it's just a TV show, uh, said, no, 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 the guests are monitored when, uh, through the, the whole time that they're in Los Angeles for their appearance. And then the, the Boston Globe talked to the director of one clinic, in Texas, where one of the patients had been uh, found, who said, well, we can't monitor the patient once that patient leaves the state of Texas because we're only licensed in Texas. You see, we would be in violation of our license. Now, to be fair, uh, that issue doesn't crop up with Dr. Phil. He can do whatever he wants where in any state because he surrendered his license to practice psychology years ago. So that that didn't, you know, it's it's holiday time. Everybody's doing, you know, this has been a year of, so that didn't get a lot of attention, except here, right here, right now. Now, news of AFPAC. I mean, AFPAC! You may also have missed the story about, well, you know, you, the, the odds are you miss, unless you're very uh, proactive and looking for this stuff, anything that's going on in Afghanistan, because it's just our longest war. Why would we pay attention to it? But this week, uh, there was a suicide bombing that took place in a Shiite, can I say that on the radio, center in Kabul, the nation's capital. Um, the There has been increased activity by IS militants in Afghanistan over the last year or so since they've were being forced out of Iraq and Syria. Uh, and reports indicate that uh, th th there were several deaths in the incident in uh, Kabul. These, the IS people are Sunni, and so the object of attacking a Shiite center would uh, presumably be to stoke up sectarian rivalry and violence the way they did in uh, Iraq which Paul Wolfowitz assured us before we went in there, had no history of ethnic tension or any of that. Um, in Iraq, that is to say. Um, reports uh, that people in Kabul are, are feeling 
uncertain as, as they might, not sure that the government of President Ghani has taken sufficient steps to prevent recurrences. There have been several attacks in Kabul this year. Um, the Taliban, for their part, have uh, denounced the IS attacks, uh, uh, this, this one included. Uh, there seems to be, as there was in Syria uh, before that got tamped down a little bit, rivalry between uh, the two strains of militants in Afghanistan. And... Uh, so the and of course it's it's not fighting season right now because it's too cold it's too cold to fight in Afghanistan. Anyway, that's that's how it looks from here. We we have to see how it looks from there. From Afghanistan Public Radio, where this year's tote bags are an environmentally friendly 10% smaller. From the abandoned American television truck in downtown Kabul, the city that time forgot, then remembered, then forgot again. <laughs> I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. We're hush and shush, the can't shut up brothers. And here we go with another non-rerun of Karzai Talk. Today's program comes to you with the help of the Afghanistan Boy Scouts. We're the scouts who teach boys how to put out fires. <laughs> <laughs> well, my younger brother, mm -hmm. it's New Year's Eve or New Year's Day in much of the world. True, my younger brother. Mm -hmm. And here in Afghanistan, the only thing that's new is the facial quality bathroom tissue. <laughs> <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> of course, our own New Year doesn't begin until March 21st. Yes, and by that time, Anderson Cooper should be sober again. <laughs> <laughs> hello, you're on cars, I talk. Uh, hello, this is Nawaz, a long-time Taliban member, first-time caller. Oh, welcome, Nawaz. Thank Have you. you blown up any giant Buddhas lately? <laughs> uh, no, that happened before I joined up. Uh, I've mainly been involved in liaison with our Pakistani brothers, a connection which, as you know, uh, doesn't exist. Mm, you've heard of plausible deniability? Sure. Well, what we just heard is a fine example of the non-plausible kind. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, now that you mention it, uh, Hamid, mm -hmm. uh, for the last uh, six months, I've been assigned to the denial unit. Oh, can you tell me what it is, or do you have to deny that it exists? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, and yes, I can. Ooh. In reverse order, I hope. <laughs> well, with all the recent activity in our country by the foreigners who claim to be so-called Islamic State, mm -hmm. it's uh, very important for the Taliban brand to separate ourselves from them. The Taliban brand. Mm -hmm. Who says the Americans haven't left us a legacy? <laughs> <laughs> so I presume, dear caller, mm -hmm. that you are calling to deny any involvement in the IS attack this week in this very city? Uh, that's correct, Mahmoud. By, uh, by the way, uh, I want to thank you for the previously owned Toyota Tundra I got from your dealership. Mm. I uh, was delighted to discover that it came equipped with uh, actual Tundra. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should thank the previous owner. <laughs> oh, no. Really, he should thank the moose. <laughs> but, but yes, uh, on behalf of the entire uh, Taliban team, I want to denounce the heinous attack on the Shiite center in Kabul this week. Mm. Uh, the so-called Islamic State is un-Islamic, un-Afghan. Uh, let's throw in un-American just for giggles. 
But there weren't any giggles. Uh, other folks at Taliban HQ remind you that this type of attack is bad for all of us, and we renounce any connection with these people and their cause, if they even have one. So you denounced and you renounced? Yes, sir. He did some pronouncing, too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Nawaz, yes. help us to understand. Uh, did the Taliban do some pretty fearsome attacks as well, don't they? Well, uh, let me give you a good example of the difference between my organization and that ragtag band of demented monsters. Mm -hmm. Now, we blew up the giant Buddhas at Bamiyan, as you recall. Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. Islamic State would have beheaded them. They'd still be working on it. <laughs> Twenty years later. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the call. Not easy to behead a mountain. We got it. Mm -hmm. So, my brother, mm -hmm. maybe with the population of the capital worrying whether President Ghani is doing enough to protect them, we should maybe cancel our own New Year's celebration this year? Well, but people from all over the country have already made their plans to come here and stand in the main city square and watch at midnight when the goat drops. Mm -hmm. The problem is it's the same goat every year. I, and, <laughs> uh, hello, you're on Cars I Talk. Hi, this is Dr. Phil. I'm calling from Los Angeles, long-time TV shrink, first-time caller. Uh, welcome, and uh, can I take the opportunity to ask you a question? Well, sure. Is, is it a sibling issue? We have a wing at the Dr. Phil <laughs> Retreat. No, 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 sir. No, 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 sir. It's a media question. Okay. In America, where I first went to study at Toyota University, there used to be so many shrinks on the radio. Now they've moved to TV. Why is that? I'm going to take a stab at that one. Mm -hmm. Is it because on the radio you couldn't see the caller's pain? Well, I'm not going to argue with you on that, but uh, looky here, fellas. I, I, I couldn't get anybody on my staff to get to the bottom of this, so I thought I'd go right to what used to be at the top. Oh, don't be so sure he won't be there again. He just had his green robes right clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I, as I recall, your country used to be the world's leading grower and supplier of heroin. Uh, not exactly. We are the world leader in opium production, but it's processed into heroin mainly in Bangkok or Hong Kong. Well, my brother has a plan to bring some of that business back to our country. Well, those processing jobs are high-skilled and well-paying. Our college graduates could... Let me, let me just break on through here. We have guests on our show all the time who are addicts, and between the time they're booked and the time they appear... You don't want them to become ex-addicts? Well, we've prepaid their flights to L.A., mm -hmm. and, and to tell you the truth, uh, watching me talk to someone who's in good shape for an hour is not what we in the television psychology business called must-cry TV. And you're tired of your staff dealing with this problem at, uh, shall we say, street level? Well, uh, to shuck right down to the cob, uh, nothing eats away at a show's bottom line more than uh, street-level procurement. So You know, our previous caller was with the Taliban. Uh, they do all the growing now. So. Uh, our screener can put you in touch with him if our screener wakes up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think a lot of very desperate people will thank you. And that's just my style. Thanks for the call. 
We add up today from the Afghan History Institute, sharing the lessons no one will heed. Legal services for Karzai Talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Newcomb. I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. Join us again the next time they fire up the generator for another edition of Karzai Talk. This is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio. Listen to you, lady who speaks. This affair has run its course. I'll reside in Athens six weeks while I get me a divorce. Listen to your lover who asks why this battle has begun. He has long neglected some tasks that a husband should have done. He eats me out of house and home, but doesn't like my cooking. That's nothing new with a man. What can you do with a man? He likes to use my brush and comb, and yet he's funny looking. Home's like a zoo with a man. What can you do with a man? Some men wear half pajamas. I took a chance. I bought the guy pajamas. He wears the pants. By day he's like a five-year-old. At night he's 97. What can you do with a man like that? When you get mad, don't count to ten. Go on and count a million. Don't be a shrew with a man. That's what you do with a man. You need a regiment of men. I'm only one civilian. Wait for a cue with a man. That's what you do with a man. Marriage is such a blessing. So I have found. I have a thousand blessings. Each weighs a pound. I'm only four foot ten right now. I once was five foot seven. That's what you did with a man like that. I wear my nicest negligee and find him reading Plato. Nothing is new with a man. What can you do with a man? I shook the tree of life one day. Pre-reckoning indictment, I'd say. Ladies and gentlemen, it's now time for Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. You know about the New York City fire I mentioned at the top of the broadcast. You may remember the even more disastrous fire that happened in London. It's our closest ally. Uh, in June of this year, Grenfell Tower 
more than 80 people killed, all the families thrown out, homeless, unrehoused mainly, and money promised to the survivors by the Council of Kensington and Chelsea to help cover Christmas costs did not arrive in time for 18 households. This was our error, and we're sorry for this, and have taken steps to deal with the households we're aware of, said Kim Taylor Smith, deputy leader of the Royal Borough, Borough of Kensington and Chelsea. 18 households, including those of both survivors and evacuees, did not receive a payment before Christmas, despite the council's commitment. The council was, has been dogged by accusations that it was too slow to respond to the crisis. Once help arrived, it was criticized as being mired in bureaucracy. We knew finding 300 properties in the borough was never going to be three weeks. It was never going to be three months, said the director of the trust, which has been distributing grants to the local community. But he added that a lack of honesty throughout the process had added to survivors' stress. Just another stressor. Facing lawsuits and consumer outrage after it said it slowed older iPhones with flagging batteries or the older iPhone like mine with a new battery that had been replaced this year, you see. Apple is slashing prices for battery replacements and will change its software to show users whether their phone battery is good. It's good. It's all good. In a posting on its website, Apple apologized over its handling of the battery issue and said it would make a number of changes for customers to recognize their loyalty and to regain the trust of anyone who may have doubted Apple's intentions. Statement may not be trustworthy, but it's so thin. Apple made the move to address concerns about the quality and durability of its products at a time when it's charging $999 for its newest model. It's going to cut the price of an out-of-warranty battery replacement from $79 to $29. Wow, there goes the company's profit. We know that some of you feel Apple has let you down, it said in its posting. We apologize. Apple denied that it has ever done anything to intentionally shorten the life of a product. Just some happy accidents, I guess. Vanity Fair has apologized for its controversial home video offering, a controversial humor video, offering some advice to a defeated presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. The video suggested some New Year's resolutions for Clinton, such as taking up knitting or other hobbies. It promoted a backlash from many viewers who saw it as sexist. And in a backlash to the black backlash, President Trump sent a tweet blasting the magazine for its apology. In a statement, Vanity Fair said of the video, it was an attempt at humor, and we regret that it missed the mark. The video was from Vanity Fair's business and politics page, Hive, and showed editors holding champagne toasts as they made suggestions for what Clinton should do in 2018. Editors are known for their sense of humor. One editor said Clinton could write a sequel to her book titled, What the Hell Happened? One female editor said, take up a new hobby in the new year. Volunteer work, knitting, improv comedy. Literally anything that will keep you from running again. Many viewers decried the video as sexist, passe, or not funny. I think not funny is the crucial marker there, don't you? Well, you can't answer me back. Well, you could answer me back. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Actress Jenna Fisher tweeted out a lengthy apology this week for inaccurately claiming that the recently passed GOP tax bill eliminated a deduction for teachers. The House version of the bill eliminated the $250 deduction. The final version restored it following outcry from teachers and their supporters. I was well-intentioned, but I was behind on my research, said uh, the actor well-known from the American version of 
the office. She tweeted out an unusual lengthy apology for an, for her an inaccurate claim. I had some facts wrong, she said. I feel genuinely bad about getting my facts wrong, and I'm sorry. I did, mit, did not mean to spread misinformation. I was well-intentioned, but I was behind on my research. I'm not ashamed to say I was wrong, and I'm not ashamed to correct it. I was taught that taking responsibility is the right thing to do. Lewis Hamilton, famous from the, uh, from the auto racing world, Formula One, has apologized for a video in which he mocked his nephew. His nephew was wearing a princess dress he had received for Christmas. Hamilton shared the video with his 5.7 million Instagram followers. The video opened with the four-time Formula One world champion saying, I'm so sad right now. Look at my nephew. Then he turns to the young boy who's donned in a pink and purple princess dress and a love heart fairy wand. The nephew happily nods when Hamilton asks, why are you wearing a princess dress? Is, that, is this what you got for Christmas? Before Hamilton covered his ears and oh before the young boy turned uh, covered his ears and turned away from the camera when hamilton tells him boys don't wear princess dresses hamilton apologized for the video which he has since deleted uh, he apologized via a series of tweets on twitter best place for your tweets saying he realized his words were inappropriate and that he meant no harm and did not mean to offend anyone at all i love that my nephew feels free to express himself as we all should my deepest apologies for my behavior as i realize it is really not acceptable for anyone no matter where you are from to marginalize or stereotype anyone i've always been in support of anyone living their life exactly how they wish and i hope i can be forgiven for this lapse in judgment Lucky it didn't happen when he was going 150 miles an hour. Disappointing to see somebody with such a large, huge platform use it to publicly shame and attempt to undermine a small child, said the founder and CEO of the anti-bullying site, Ditch the Label. Deadline Taipei. Head of the Bureau of Consular Affairs, Agnes Chen, Stepped down this week amid a furor over an error on the newly updated Taiwan e-passport. It appears to bear an image of the wrong airport. Dulles International in Washington rather than Taiwan International. On behalf of the Bureau of Consular Affairs, I apologize to the public for this major oversight and will take full administrative responsibility for the incident, Chen said in a brief statement. She said she had met with the foreign minister, David Lee, the previous night, submitted her resignation to him, which was accepted. And Ford is now showing an anti-sexual harassment video on a rotating loop 24-7 at all of its manufacturing plants, encouraging victims to report any abuse and warning supervisors retaliation will not be tolerated. Jim Hackett, Ford president and CEO, says the company has learned from decades of sexual harassment allegations at its plants and will do better. I will be in front of our employees in Chicago when everyone is back from the holidays to let them know that when they leave for work in the morning, they and their families can expect that they are coming to an environment that is safe, respectful, and motivating them to do the best job possible, he says. I want to take this opportunity to say I am sorry for any instance where a colleague was subjected to harassment or discriminatory conduct. On behalf of myself and the employees of Ford who condemn such behavior and regret any harassment as much as I do, I apologize. Ford CEO Jim Hackett. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. A copyrighted feature of this broadcast. 
ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations or over your audio device of choice. Podcast available through iTunes and TuneIn and SoundCloud and Sideshow Network. And it'll be just like journalists refraining from making predictions about 2018. If you'd agree to join me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desk. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson, as well as to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, all at harryshare.com. And I'm on the aforementioned Twitter, at TheHarryShare. Try to have a safe and happy New Year's Eve. Don't stand under the dropping goat. comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans.